0: As I was uh, preparing the message, I happened to uh, stumble upon a Christian website, unfamiliar to me. And uh, interestingly, my eyes uh, fell on these words uh, from a lady. She wrote, Over my 60 years as a follower of Jesus, my walk has had many challenges and taken many directions. God has been very patient with me. Each step has prepared me for this moment in time that I would like to share with you. Again, God has given me, with each challenge, each suffering, an opportunity to grow more intimate in my relationship with Him. A few weeks ago, my neurologist gave me a message that another time in my journey of faith would have devastated me. I have Lou Gehrig's disease. There's another test I must go through to determine the severity of the disease at this point. And then the post ended and was followed by a a postscript, uh, it's uh, the, the her post was dated September eighth, twenty sixteen, and then the followed the words: "Patricia Davis went to be with the Lord on February twentieth, twenty eighteen. There followed more words uh, about what a great Christian person she was. I don't know the lady, maybe you do. I don't know if she was well known or otherwise. Obviously, she had a a blog, and uh, and has passed from Lou Gehrig's disease. But here's here's the thing: we we don't know, do we? where things are going in our lives. We don't know the intricate details of God's plan for our lives as we trust in the Lord, but we know that His way with us is good and that He works His purposes for us. In this last uh, passage, or the passage that we looked at today, in the last verse of the passage, um, Jesus says this, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. This Greek word, translated take courage, connotes the idea of, of being fearless when you are in the middle of fearful situations. It's not just a, a little, like, yeah, I just want to encourage you. This is, you need courage because what you're going through right now should strike fear in your heart. There's some dire circumstance. So, so here's the big idea today. Fearlessly trust the Lord to complete his purposes for you. Fearlessly trust the Lord to complete his purposes for you. I trust that somebody today needs this message. Obviously, the passage is about Paul. And on the one level, it's this wonderful insight into what Christ was doing to build his kingdom and to fulfill his purposes in the life of the apostle. But there's truth in here for us as well. So as we look at this, as we unpack it... We're going to make application, which I think is fair application uh, for our lives. So at the very beginning here, we should desire his purposes. We should desire his purposes. I want to be very clear that I am not preaching one of those self-help, American, narcissistic, have your best life now, be all you can be kinds of messages. Really, the, the comfort in this passage... I wouldn't say leave now if this isn't where your heart's at. But I would say this. This message is not going to thrill you at all if you don't desire the purposes of God in your life. If you're just looking for a soft landing out of this, out of this world and, uh, and no trial, no tribulation, and no particular usefulness for the sake of the kingdom of God, then, yeah, you're not going to like this. Think about, though, the dog-eared page of your Bible in Romans chapter 8. What it says there, how many know Romans 8, 28 by heart at this point in your life, or at least you know what I'm referring to there. And we know that for those who love God, and that's a caveat, isn't it? For those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, God works all things for good. Yeah, those who know Christ as Savior, those who love him, those who are yoked with him in, in his kingdom, we know that God's purpose for us will be accomplished. That's that's kind of the bottom line thing here, isn't it? Those called according to his purpose. The dream isn't, in other words... How do I have the, the best retirement package? How do I have the largest 401k? He who dies with the most toys wins. I think nowadays it's he who dies with the most toys while having a very healthy life without any struggles and without any trials sort of wins. Isn't that kind of where people are on you know, so much of the time? Our goal, our desire is to fulfill the purposes that God has for us. Our desire is, is to hear him say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Paul's on the same page with Jesus. You can just see this. I'm going to remind you of just a couple of things really quickly here. If you look back at Acts 19:21, Paul said there, now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to the Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So Paul is already making his plans. He wants to go to Rome. He wants to be a witness for the gospel at the heart of the Roman Empire. He sees that as a big win for the sake of the gospel. How interesting is it then in the passage today that that Jesus in effect promises him that he's going to end up going to Rome even as he desires to. If you go back to chapter 20, Paul said there, But I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may, here we go, finish the course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So do you, are you seeing where Paul's heart was, what, what his desire is, what, what is his ambition, it, the ambition is to be used for the kingdom of God, isn't it? It is to complete what God has given him to do. It, it, it is to hit that point of destiny, whatever that is in the plan of God. And he, he has that sense, and Jesus has made it clear to him that it's Rome. For us, it may be something different. I mean, for most of us here probably, you know, we're not going to die in Rome, um, you know, you might take that, that Italy trip and it just might work out perfectly that you could accomplish that fact. But uh, yeah, most of it, is, it's not a question of Rome, but whatever that purpose is, if if our heart is set on what God has for us, then we have that assurance that God is working those things out and bringing those things to its their resolution. Secondly, we should trust his providence for us relates to his purpose. That is providence... For us relates to his purpose. Here are the first two verses that we begin with here at the I started, you notice I started at the end, so we're backing up, starting at the beginning. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out what they were shouting, uh, why they were shouting against him like this. Now, recall, as Brian said, where we were, how this thing got started. Paul had spoken to the crowd. Everything was going hunky-dory. They were kind of listening. They were cued in. He was being very relatable. And then he dropped the bomb. He pulled the pin. He hit, hit him with the punchline that Christ sent him to the Gentiles to preach the gospel to them. And at that point, that, that was when everything uh, broke loose. Presumably, our tribune did not understand a word that Paul had been saying. And Why is that? Do you remember? He'd been addressing a very Jewish crowd... In their language, in the Hebrew language, in Aramaic, probably the Tribune had picked up a couple words here and there, but he didn't have to speak Aramaic to function as a Roman soldier in Jerusalem. So he probably hasn't figured anything out. He just figures Paul is one of those guys. He's a troublemaker. He's one of these dirty, rotten Jewish people that he has to deal with every day. And so his intention is to have him flogged. And the word that's used there of this whip that's going to be used, you have heard about before. How many, during some Easter sermon at some point, have heard the word flagellum? Flagellum, the Roman flagellum, yeah? Does that sound familiar from some Easter sermon? How many saw The Passion of the Christ, the movie The Passion of the Christ? Yeah? They actually depict that pretty accurately in that movie. The Roman flagellum was not just an ordinary whip. It was a braided whip and they braided it so that they could incorporate little jagged pieces of metal or sharp pottery or something something that would would tear and so literally what would happen when they would it was it was really an instrument of torture and if you got that used on you you were either going to die or be left a cripple there was there was not really a well whew, that was hard and then on on with your business kind of a thing in an amazing parallel by the way the, the site where they would have scourged him, according to the text, it doesn't come right out and mention the name, but given the locations that are being mentioned in the text with the barracks, this would have been at Gabatha, and that was the exact same place where Jesus was, uh, was whipped. They, tall, they tie Paul back like a skinned animal on a tanning frame. Have you ever seen that, you know, when people are tanning a hide? They got Paul stretched out tight like that, and the reason is they want to do maximum damage as they use this uh, this instrument of torture on him. And just as they're about ready to hit him, it says, But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing there, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? And I don't know if you realize this or not, but that is a rhetorical question. Probably spoken very quickly, I'm thinking. Um, as quick as he could get it in there and make it understood. Because the the answer, rhetorically, is no <laughs> No, that is not a legal thing. You're not allowed to do that. Centurion freaks out, runs to the tribune, says, what are you about to do? Which sounds like kind of a, a cheeky thing for a centurion to say to a tribune, because that's, that's, you're, you're going up in rank there. You're, you're talking to somebody that's over you. And you, you, know, you know what you're getting ready to do here? What, are, what is it you're getting ready to do? Now, the truth of the matter is, this centurion is doing the tribune a huge favor, it would be like a moment like if the chief surgeon is about ready to take, you know, his scalpel and, and begin the amputation and the first year nurse says to him, What are you about to do? Oh right, that's the wrong arm. Yeah. He he may feel like it's not her place to tell him as a surgeon what to do, but in that moment he's gonna be thankful. Like, thank you, because that's my whole livelihood. That's my life. That's everything. Thank you for saying something. That's how the how the tribune would have felt toward uh, toward uh, this centurion. New information rattles him a bit. He goes to Paul. Paul is still stretched out like a flying squirrel. And he says, what is this, you know, that I hear? Are you actually a, a Roman citizen? Uh, and he says, I, I got that with a large sum of money. Well, th- we probably don't quite realize, as we read the text, what it was like for Roman citizens. The Roman Empire was made up of a lot of non-citizens. There were more non-citizens in the Roman Empire under their rule than there were citizens. It was an honor to be a Roman citizen. You had to either be born that way or have done something just incredible, distinguished yourself in battle for the sake of Rome in some, some fashion or another, or there was always the bribery route. And that's exactly what the tribune had done. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. And Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. So checkmate, loser. Yeah, I mean, this is Paul like throwing those, spiking spiking it in the end zone, except he really can't do that at that moment, but he would have. He would have at that moment, because he's got the upper hand at this point. And the Romans fear that they've gone too far. They withdraw. He, the, the tribune gets things set up so that Paul can be interviewed by the Sanhedrin. Here's the thing. We've seen that in Christ's purposes for Paul, and in Paul's own self-understanding, his purpose and his desire is this getting to Rome and being able to be, testify there. But that would not have happened as you follow through, and we haven't seen all this yet, because we're not at Rome yet. But if you know the story, if you understand how it ends and how Paul gets to Rome, Paul getting to Rome would not have probably happened had it not been for his arrest and for this whole situation to have played itself out. When we use the term providence, because remember that's what God uses His providence to accomplish his purpose. When we talk about God's providence, we mean, theologically speaking, that God is in control, and that God ordains whatsoever cometh to pass. That's what the Westminster Confession says, and it's, I think, very well-worded. God ordains whatsoever comes to pass. Even the accidents, quote-unquote, accidents of our births are under the sovereign purposes and rule of God. Why were you born If you were born in Great Bend, why were you born in Great Bend or Larned or in Indiana or whatever the case may be? You look at somebody like Pharaoh. God says, for this reason, I raised you up. You look at Moses and and how just at the right moment he's pulled out and he's raised by Pharaoh's family. And and you just go down the list. Esther, what about Esther? You know, who knows, but for such a time as this, you know, you've been born All these accidents of our birth are part of the providence of God in our life. The reason Paul will be not scourged and killed and how he will actually end up in Rome is because of the providential work of God. And God could have done that differently, right? God could have and has, in the book of Acts, sent angels to rescue people. Paul himself had experienced what that was like when the when the doors of the you know with the earthquake and everything at Philippi were opened up. Paul, God could have done that, but instead, how is God working in this scenario in this situation but by, by how Paul was born, which had happened presumably yeah, quite a few years earlier than this? Paul says of regular believers like you and I. That he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. That God works all things for the good. All things. What, what are the all things? What do the all things include? For Being an American citizen might be one of those things. Being born here and not there. Another one of those things. God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And we can count on that. Thirdly here, we should trust his authority over authorities. I like this point. The next day, Paul gets uh, drugged before the tribunal of the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin. All this feels a lot like the trial of Jesus. There's a lot of points along the way, I don't know if you've noticed this, where there are similarities between what happens with Paul in Jerusalem and what happened with Jesus. What happens next though is pretty crazy, and to understand it, we have to understand a little bit about Ananias the high priest. This Ananias was a high priest from, and we know this from Josephus. He was high priest from 47 AD to 59 AD, so about 12 years. Remember, this is taking place. Um, the the text here is taking place around 57 AD, so a couple years before this guy dies. But he's been in office for a while, and this guy. According to Bach, who's quoting Josephus, this guy was an insolent, quick-tempered, violent man. You're like, ah, oh, I thought the high priest was this godly man, you know, who did. It, not this guy. <laughs> this guy got where he got by power and influence, and he stole from the treasury, he took money that was meant for the Levites. He, he ordered violence done against people. As, as we see in the text not a good guy he's more like a mob boss than a high priest and Paul starts out really innocently how many feel like Paul pushed the envelope when he began how he did anyone yeah because Paul's like yeah I, I've just lived my whole life with a good conscience before God and Ananias goes hey smack that dude right? And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. That's, that's a mob boss right there for you. Is like, he's like Tony Soprano or somebody like that. What Paul does in response gets interpreted a lot of different ways. Some people think that Paul sins, that Paul has just a temper tantrum, which is you know, according to that interpretation, an utterly totally sinful temper tantrum, and then he has to back down and apologize and repent of it that's one view there's another view that says Paul did not actually know who gave the order, which is plausible because we we think Paul had an eye. Uh, problem and, and he may you know and I've I've read this description as if it's fact and we don't know for sure but like it could well be that as he looks across here we'd have to have, we could ask an eye doctor about this but as he's looking far ahead you know at the at the group before him of the Sanhedrin that all he sees if, if they were all maybe wearing white robes that all he sees is like Mister Magoo he just sees a whitewashed wall in front of him and that's what he's referencing that he can't make out who it is that's a possibility. Um, it's also possible that he is speaking a word of judgment against this guy, and then the words when he apologizes would be tongue-in-cheek, like, oh, I didn't know it was that, that kind of thing. So take your pick. It's hard to know. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers. You can read this with different intonations, depending on what you think. I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. If I had to choose one of those options, I kind of think that Paul literally may not have fully understood who it was that gave the order. And in which case, if, if that's the case, then he may well be just stating his heart on the issue, which is no matter who, who the high priest is, the word of God tells me I'm not supposed to speak against him, and so I won't speak against him. And that, I, I think that's legitimate. Like if you, if you were suddenly, you know, let's say you did something remarkable, you know, you came on a car crash and the car was on fire and you just Herculean effort, you know, a lot of adrenaline, you just pulled the car off of the, the people and saved their lives and they said, oh, you know, you're going to get the Presidential Medal of Freedom and they take you to the White House. I don't know how political you are, and I don't know how you feel about the current president, but I am betting, no matter how you feel politically, that you would get there and you would say, thank you very much, sir, right? And you're like, well, maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't, but, but it's the office, right? We're, we're, we're taught to respect the office, even if, if the person in that office at the moment is somebody that we don't particularly agree with. And I think that's what's going on here. Here's the thing. As Jesus said to Pilate, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. And I think that's what Paul recognizes. I think Paul is in full comprehension of that fact. And we know to say that that God's authority overarches the authorities that are over us. That is not to say that every authority over us is good or beneficent. And certainly we can't say that about Ananias. The guy was, was a mobster. He was, he was a crook. He was an evil man. By the way, if you want to know as Paul, what Paul Harvey would call the rest of the story, all people over 50 might remember that. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, he, would, he would always tell these stories kind of backward. And he'd say, and the rest of the story. But the, Here's the punchline. Ananias dies like two years later, 59 A.D., He gets killed by a group of zealots, of Jewish zealots who consider him to be a collaborator with the Romans. So he gets his comeuppance. How many feel a little better about it now? Just a little better. Yeah, he he didn't get away with it. So Ananias, the point being, was not going to in any way, shape, or form adversely affect the future that God had, the purpose that God had for the Apostle Paul. He wasn't going to delete a clause or strike a phrase or, or or take out a comma. What God had planned, God's purpose for the Apostle Paul, was absolutely being worked, and it was happening in spite of and through and around and, and, and surrounded by this, this authority of Ananias. And, and we can trust the same to be true when it comes to us. How many have ever felt, I always used to say you never feel more powerless than when you're at the DMV yeah and then I had to add to that or if you're at a um, business and they've left a teenager in charge Um, sorry teenagers Uh, yeah that both of those are kind of but how many have felt just like oh I'm powerless to do anything I'm trying to go maybe you're trying to go to the mission field for a quick you know stop and a visit to see some missionary friends and to help them out and the visa's not coming through you're like, oh man, what am I going to do? What if that? What if that country? You know who? We don't that countries. It's a communist country, or it's a Muslim country, and there's people there that wouldn't like me if they knew who I was, and and uh, and and what? They're in control of this, and I'm not, and you get all panicky about it, but their authority is under the authority of God, is it not? God is sovereign. God is sovereign over those things. And wait, maybe you're trying to get into a, a particular school and you're a young Christian person and you've written in your application something about your Christian faith and you think, oh, woe is me. I'm, uh, what, if, what if they look at that and they see I'm a Christian and they don't let me into this Ivy League school or whatever I'm interested in going to? Again, God is sovereign. Nothing, nothing that God intends to do in your life for his purposes and his glory are gonna be shortened Or shortchanged in any way because of that. So do nothing, right? That's the answer to just do nothing. No, we are free to maneuver within our circumstances. We are free to maneuver within our circumstances. And this is something, I I know I've made this point in different ways at different times, but God's sovereignty is never an excuse for inactivity and passivity on our part. How many remember those Sherlock Holmes films that were out a few years ago? I think there were three of them with Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, and Jude Law. Those were pretty well done movies, don't you think? and uh, something that we'd never seen in a Sherlock Holmes TV show before that I can recall there were these moments where they would give you the filmmaker would give you this, this you, you would kind of be like in the brain of Sherlock Holmes you, you know the moment like I think the first time we saw it he was, in, he was in a ring and he was having a boxing match and then all at once you, you see what he's thinking and he's thinking Sherlock Holmes 10 steps ahead like well I'll throw this and he'll counter and then I'll, and I'll duck and then yeah you know the thing i'm talking about there, there's that moment here it, it, it's, it's a moment for paul look at the way he maneuvers paul's not helpless it says now when paul perceived this is the sherlock holmes see we're in we're inside his paul's head ah when paul perceived that one part were sadducees and the other pharisees he cried out in the council brothers i am a pharisee a son of a pharisee, of, of pharisees it is with respect to the hope And that hope in the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. Then you go, wow, Paul, really? You are, oh, you're crafty. You're a crafty guy. Yeah, but he's not lying. He's not making anything up. In fact, what he is saying really is like at the core of the hope of the gospel. The Sadducees denied the idea of the resurrection. Of course, usually when the Pharisees talked about the resurrection, they were talking about, you know, after the judgment, and the final resurrection. But, um, yeah, the idea that Christ has been raised from the dead, that was central to the gospel and central to our hope. For the, fat, the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angels, nor spirits, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And Paul is just like, yeah, he's just opening that up. Paul might as well have said to the Pharisees, hey, did you hear what those Sadducees said about your mother? And uh, to the Sadducees, hey, you know, he said your dog was ugly or whatever, I don't know. But but the point is, Paul is, is brilliant in what he does here. It says, then a great clamor arose and some of the scribes Of the Pharisees party stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? Notice they mentioned spirit or angel. So they're mad and they're like sticking the knife in the Sadducees on that deal. What if a spirit or angel spoke to him? Yeah, God does that still. God talks to people. Yeah, and so that's that. And so Paul has taken this jury that is ready to hang him, and he's just split them perfectly down. The middle. Can you say, well played, sir? Huh? It was well played. What I want to point out to you again is is God's sovereignty does not preclude us from acting. It didn't preclude Paul from doing what Paul did. He was free to maneuver. He didn't just sit back and go, well, God's got this. It's going to be okay. He saw an opportunity. He took the opportunity. The same is true for us. We can trust that God's working His purposes... But some of how he works his purposes, you know, there can be the miraculous. There can be those providential accidents of our birth. But God also works through us seeing things and going, okay, I'm going to take that step. I'm going to do this. Yeah? Does that help? Okay. Finally, we can trust him in the midst of noise, in the midst of noise. And I mean noise more than just, you know. The sound effect thing. Uh, though Paul may have enjoyed uh, this outcome on some level, watching them fight with each other, he's also unleashed a can of worms here, hasn't he? Like, he's gotten the big dogs fighting, but who's the scrap of meat in the middle? Paul. He, he, almost, he almost performed too well on that one, such that it says in verse 10 that the tribune literally, literally feared that, that Paul would be torn to pieces. So the tribune had his soldiers carry Paul by force and bring him inside the Roman barracks. As out of control, as were the circumstance, there is never a moment throughout this whole narrative where God isn't in control. And I think that's something that I hope you take away from this today, this just, just to have this truth cemented in your mind. There is a lot of noise and a lot of chaos happening around Paul. And yet there's never a moment when things are chaotic. When things are going wrong (laughs) in your life and bad things seem to be happening and there's a lot of confusion, we we often talk about, we we say there's chaos. Well, I've got chaos swirling around me. Christian, you never have chaos swirling around you. you. Do you understand that? Because chaos, by its very definition, means it's random, it's out of control, it's fate, whatever you want to say. It's, but, 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 but there's no control. That is never true of us. That is never true of us. I think about the image of Jesus reaching down, pulling Peter up out of the waves. That was noisy and loud and scary and tumultuous, wasn't it? And he just reached down and he grabbed a hold of him. In this, in this passage, Jesus is reaching down, grabbing a hold of Paul, isn't he? I know he's not Jesus is Jesus is in heaven You don't even see Jesus in this path Jesus through Through the hands of centurions Is reaching into this Grabbing hold of Paul And yanking him completely Out of what's happening at that moment Whatever you're going through Christian If you would stop In the midst of that And I'm saying I'm preaching to myself here You understand that right I, I don't have this fully mastered Trust me Don't ask my wife Um Because she would agree with me. I don't have have a mess. But in that moment where you feel like it's chaos, if you could just, and it was almost like sort of a matrix kind of moment kind of deal, but if in the midst of that you were to just stop and look with spiritual eyes at the dust storm swirling around you, you would see that every single particle of that dust storm is suspended there by the hand of a sovereign God who created the universe, who called it into existence out of nothing, who numbered its molecules and its subatomic particles. He knows every one of them. He's in control over all things. And you are not in chaos even when you think you are. God's got that. That's our bottom line. Now we end up back right at the just where we started, which is at the end of the passage. He says, take courage for as, you as, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. That was Paul's bottom line. Jesus is going to get Paul where he's going. For Paul, that's Rome. Again, for you and me, probably not Rome. But where, but where does God want to bring you? Where in the end does God want to bring your life and mine? I don't know the answer to that. And chances are you don't know either. But we understand that it is true. I believe it's true of every single Christian that God will accomplish what God intends for us. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion, the Scripture says. All things work for the good, for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. I think that means we can sit back to some—not sit back and be inactive, but— there's within the storm a point where we can just trust, that we can trust God. God's, God's got this. God's, it's going to be okay. Let the certainty of God's providence be the pillow that you put your head upon at night and rejoice in that. That should give us joy that our God is in control because the world can't say that. You understand, the, the world that is perishing, the people who are apart from Christ, they're living in a world where it is chaos. And they don't have any other explanation for any possible order that they once in a while see. That just To them, that's strange. All they understand around them is utter chaos. But for you, dear Christian, you can say that your God is in heaven and he is in control and he does whatsoever he pleaseth. That's, that's the trust and the confidence that you have in this crazy world. If you don't have that confidence, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ today, why wouldn't you want that? I, and it's, it's hard for us to understand. Maybe you just don't really, I mean, you, clearly you don't grasp the reality of that. But that, that is what it means to be in relationship with the Lord who made everything. Not only does it mean that your sins then are forgiven and that you're granted eternal life, but it means that everything that God is doing in your life is being worked for his purposes, for his glory, and for your good. And we, just, we offer that to you today in the gospel. Repent of your sins. Trust in Jesus Christ. You'll receive eternal life, and you will be able to just fearlessly face the noise that, that, that is around you. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we're we not the Apostle Paul, but Lord, we are also in Christ, even as he was. And we thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you have redeemed us, even as you redeemed him. And Lord, that you've promised in your word. Um, we're not just ripping this off of its hinges and making it apply to us. We see in so many verses of Scripture that you promise ordinary Christians this very same thing, that we can depend on the fact that you're working all things for our good. We can trust you, that in your providence, Lord, you are going to bring us to that destiny that you have for each of us. So, Lord, help us to want that. Help us, Lord, to to focus when, when, when we're panicked And we think we're going to lose something that doesn't really matter. Lord, help us to to refocus and and see how all things have been ordered by our Heavenly Father. And how you're working in our life for your glory and our good. Give us that confidence to trust you. And give us that joy in your holy word. And we do pray that by that word, by that good word today from your scripture. that, That someone who doesn't have you will hear it and want it. And that such a person would turn to Christ right now and find salvation. For we ask it in his name. Amen.